Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Welcome back to another edition of Mets Musings. I am Gary Mack, and I hope you all had a great time since our last edition. The Mets certainly did. Coming off now, a very big emotional series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Mets took two out of three. Won the season series against the best team in baseball. Four games to three. And... Look, same pattern. Uh, they played four games in L.A. Mets lost the first two, came back to win the next two. Lost the opening here now at City Field and came back to win the next two games and to win that season series. Does it mean anything? No. But it means they are competitive. They sent a message that they can compete against the very best and and that's a big deal. Everybody was giving the Dodgers a green light to uh, the World Series, but they're going to have to go through New York or we're going to have to go through L.A., however you want to figure it, I think, to get to the series. So um, playoffs are a different animal. I understand all of that, but it's a good indication where the Mets are at and uh, – they're, they're in good shape. They're in real good shape. Uh, of course, the Braves are still nipping at the heels. So uh, they are still in a pennant race. Now, on paper, the rest of the schedule is uh, the Mets have the easiest schedule on paper. But don't forget, these people want to win, too, these other teams. I mean, they want to jockey for position. They want to, uh, you know, they're going to call up guys. They want to make a showing. So they're not going to lay down and die and let the Mets win this division. They're going to fight them. They're going to battle them. Um, but if you look at the schedule, they are all teams, for the most part, with a losing record. Uh, Milwaukee's in there. They they have a better record, but they're fading fast. So who who knows what they've got left in the tank? Uh, but there's a lot of games. Uh, they're playing the Cubs. They're playing seven games with the Pirates in the next 17 days. Um, you know they're playing um, the Washingtons, uh, the Oakland A's. They have to fly out to now. That should be an easy series, but. Oakland gave the Yankees a little bit of a problem, and it's the travel, too, involved in that. So uh, that's what's left. Three games, three big games at with the Braves, and uh, let's just hope the Mets have a five-game lead, which would clinch the series by then, I would think, uh, clinch the division. Like to clinch the division before that series. Don't want to go into a three-game series with a three-game lead. Want it to be up a little more. Maybe we can clinch it in Atlanta. That'd be nice. Uh, but if not, we can clinch it sooner. That's fine, too. Uh, 
don't be fooled though. It's it's a still a rough hoe, and, and what the Mets have to do is these are the teams that they have to beat now. Again, they've been doing it all year. They have to continue to do that and beat these what we used to call second division teams. Uh, you know, there's other derogatory terms for them, uh, bottom feeders, if you will. But these are the teams you have to beat. The Washingtons, the Pirates, the Cubbies, uh, definitely the A's this year. They, they're just an awful team. So uh, these are the teams that uh, the Mets have to be aware of and have to beat. And if they keep playing the way they've been playing, uh, they'll be able to accomplish that feat and hopefully bring home the um, the Eastern Division to start with. It's going to be interesting. You know, a lot of people said 89 to 95 games might win the division at the beginning of the year. It doesn't look like that. It's going to it's 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 looking like it's going to take 100 and you know, who knows. Uh the Mets have what 30 games left, I believe, roughly. And uh you know, even if they go 15 and 15, that's 99 wins there and Will going 500 win the division? I don't know. Atlanta uh, keeps winning. They're right behind. They're right on our heels. So it, it's it's not going to be an easy run. But we'll we'll see. You know, if they keep playing the way they're playing, they should make. Uh, you know, should win the division. Uh, they definitely. I never want to say they're a lock for the playoffs, but they're the closest thing you can get. I mean, they've got an 11-game lead, if you will, over the last wildcard team right now. So uh, they would have to have a complete collapse to to fall out of running, at least even for the third wildcard. So, but you want to avoid that wildcard. You want to avoid the... The uh, third seed, uh, you know, you want to be in the first two seeds because you want that buy, and you don't want to mess around with any of these wild card teams because there are good teams in there. Right now, if the season ended, it would look like it would be St. Louis against San Diego and Atlanta and Philadelphia, which is going to be a bond burner, believe me. So you don't want to mess with these wild card teams. You know, so the Mets have a lot to play for still, and they know that. Buck Show Walton, he's not going to let this team get down on themselves. So, uh, you know, it, it'll be uh, 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 it'll be interesting to watch. Now, two other guys that are going to be interesting to watch are going to be Tyler McGill and David Peterson. David Peterson is going to pitch on. Uh, let's see, he's going to pitch. Um, so Friday tonight he's pitching tonight as we record this. So uh, this is going to go a lot. What are they going to do with Peterson? Could he be considered another option? Will they move him to the bullpen? I believe he will make the postseason roster and probably be considered as a long man. Um. 
they they're keeping him stretched. They th- thought they felt that he deserved another start after the great start he had the other day, uh, the last time out. So this time they wanted him to go again. Hopefully he'll have another great start, especially against the Nationals, and we'll see what he can do. Uh, Tyler McGill is another guy that they're counting on, and uh, Tyler has been pitching in rehab had a rehab uh, uh, appearance uh, with Binghamton, and he's been with St. Lucie and pitched very well. So he is rounding in shape. He definitely will go into the bullpen. That could be a key part. He could be the guy that they bring in to blow away, you know, a couple of batters. Uh, Just let him throw his hardest for an inning or two. And don't worry, they'll stretch him out in the offseason, so he, he's going to go back into the starting rotation more likely next year. But for this year, coming back off an injury, it's better to prepare him for the bullpen and let him work out of the bullpen in the playoffs. He may not, may not make the rotation for the playoffs anyway. Um, we'll see with that. That's usually, you know, it depends if they go with a three-man or a four-man for the playoffs. Uh, considering the age and, and the injury history, they may want to go with a four-man. Four-man, we know the three right away is going to be the Grom, Scherzer, and Bassett. The fourth could be Carrasco, could be Walker, could be Peterson. Uh, if they want to get a lefty into that four-man rotation going into the playoffs. So all decisions to be made. But for right now, we have, uh, uh, you know, we're going to have Peterson going tonight, as I said. McGill is pitching in the minors right now as, uh, you know, on his rehab from injury. And when he comes back, he'll go to the bullpen, and that could be a big boost for that bullpen. Who's the odd man out? We don't know. We'll see. Uh, but there could be two man odd man out because Drew Smith is also coming up. Uh, he is pitching uh, down in the minors right now in rehab assignments. So uh, he could be a major part. As well, if he could go back to pitching the way he was pitching beginning of the year when he was lights out, I mean, bullpen's going to be formidable. Uh, You know, it's not to knock what it's doing now, but if you put two arms like that out there, it it takes away from, uh, uh, you know, uh, some of these lesser guys that they have. Uh, To me, Givens has been a bit of a disappointment. Um, and then they've been switching other guys, Medina and and uh, uh, God, who who, you know, uh, Jolie Rodriguez. I, you know, he's either great or he stinks. I, I I don't have a lot of faith in him. Peterson could take that left-handed slot, um, but we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of decisions to be made, but a lot of baseball to be played until those decisions have to be made. Uh, Louis Guillaume is uh, on recovery. He has been working out at City Field. He will probably go on a rehab assignment, so he will be back 
hopefully soon within the next week or so we'll have to see how how they how long they think uh i would give it a week um maybe by next Wednesday or something. That's about four or five days. Uh, if he goes on a rehab Sunday, they don't play Monday. They play Tuesday. You know, he might be back by next Friday. We'll have to see. Um, the main thing is Escobar still playing a good third base, not hitting. Um, you know, they brought up Marrero now. Uh, we'll go into that a little bit of that later uh with brett batty getting hurt but um Guillaume will be back soon and that'll be a boost to this club as well carlos carrasco is coming back as well he's tentatively scheduled to pitch on sunday so we'll see how he comes back from his injury and uh what that's all about all right got a great guest this week greg toth of Bucks in the basement is is my guest, and he will uh, be up in just a minute. We're going to talk all about the Pittsburgh Pirates, so stay tuned for that. And I'll be back right after this message. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Check out my Facebook group. It's at facebook.com slash Mets Musings. Go check it out and don't forget to call the hotline. It's 516-619-6341. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Mets Musings. I'm joined this week by Mr. Greg Toth. He is the uh, co-host of Bucks in the Basement podcast and uh, a writer for Inside the Bucks in the Basement. And uh, Craig, wait, Greg, excuse me, welcome to the show. Oh, it's it's Craig, but that's okay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you you had, you had it right uh, one time out of two. It's it's fine. Here's the thing: is it's a name that I uh, my parents curse me with. I uh, I uh, and and. I, I do answer to Craig. Greg, uh, just just don't call me late for dinner. Is that the joke? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's I've got a very good friend that's Craig, and I've got a a relative that's a Greg, and I'm I'm always getting you mixed up. But then, uh, you know, that's what happens uh, when you get up there, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, the Mets will be traveling to Pittsburgh for Labor Day, and um, 
you know, this is the kind of series that the Mets need, really. I mean, they have to uh, beat up on teams like this. Uh, unfortunately, it's your team. I have a soft spot in my heart for Pittsburgh. I went to school up around the area. I, I would root for the Pirates. I still do, except when they play the Mets. And uh, I root for the Steelers. Uh, I love the area. And uh, it's just a shame that, you know... Um, that they can't perform better or can't put the team together better. Uh, what seems to be the problem with that? Um, it's it's kind of trying to find out where they are in this rebuild. And, and Ben Charrington actually just finally used the word rebuild uh, just this past weekend. He had been calling it a build, you know, from the bottom up. And, and I feel like that's where... Um, it kind of gets tough just because uh, there, I mean, there's no specific way to do a rebuild, but when you do it to the point where you're selling off most of your major league talent, I mean, luckily he still had, you know, Cabrian Hayes on his way up, Brian Reynolds coming off of his rookie year um, now with, you know, O'Neill Cruz coming up through the system and, and hopefully Mitch Keller discovering himself. Um, but when you're doing stuff like that, I mean, and only relying mostly on, you know, the prospects and, and who you have and not really trading for, for much major league talent, uh, bringing in some, what are considered, you know, low risk, uh, high reward types of free agents, say a Jose Quintana, uh, the guy who's tearing it up for your team right now, Mr. Daniel Vogelback, when you, when you do type things like that, uh, it's going to be tough to see when people are like, okay, we're already in year three. I think of it almost as like, I don't even know how to explain it. I don't know if it's like a college program as you're hiring a new coach and you're waiting till like year four or five to judge him till he gets all yeah. of his own players in here. So I think that at some point in time, you have to put your foot down and, and say that, you know, you're on one side of the rebuild or the other um right now they're kind of just treading water in the middle and just using a bunch of prospects and as Dennis Eckersley put a, a hodgepodge of nothingness around it um and like a Josh Van Meter or Kevin Padlow just still picking up a bunch of guys so it's I don't know man if, if they don't start turning this around 2023 2024 I mean it might be I hate to say it like a uh the way Detroit is looking right now the the way their rebuild's looking uh, people are just starting to, you know, maybe pitchforks and and stuff to come down to PNC Park. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, that's just kind of what's been holding it, I don't know, back. It's just that it's, it's a different type of rebuild. And the fan base there, it, everybody knows – that's been around that Pittsburgh is is a it's it's a football town. It's really a shame, but there is a good baseball fan base. It's just uh, I I think sometimes it's got to be excited and and woken up. Uh, you know, uh, what's the fee? Uh, are people getting angry now? Are they uh, sick and tired of this? Is is the is Derek Shelton in any trouble or anything like along those lines? Well, I mean, the fan base is is extremely passionate. Uh, it definitely is a, a football and sometimes a hockey town. 
um, above baseball, but that's, you know, mostly because of, you know, the winning culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, luckily myself, I mean, being a fan of not only the Pirates, but the Penguins and the Steelers, I've seen, you know, two Super Bowls. I've seen, you know, four or five Stanley Cup victory, you know, so it's it's definitely been that. But when, you know, the Pirates came back in like 2000. 13, 14, and 15. I mean, the stadium was packed and it had such a great atmosphere and feel to it. And so I think that there was a little bit of a rejuvenation of, of a fan base because, I mean, at that point in time, you know, I was getting into my 30s. So a lot of the people that were you know, 21 or younger, when I became a fan of the Pirates at that age, you know, they hadn't seen a winning season. So I think it did at least pull some of those people back into the mix. Cause if not, uh, the pirates fan base was getting actually, you know, getting older. It was getting, you know, 30 and above anybody who had seen, you know, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla, Andy Van Slyke play. Um, there wasn't many fans that were like, Hey, I'm going to be a fan of the pirates <laughs> and cheer for them through their, you know, 20 losing seasons. But yeah, I mean, it's just definitely a very passionate and, and I know that some people have given, you know, Ben Charrington the benefit of the doubt, but even that, uh, that leash has been waning just at least a little bit over the past, you know, few weeks and months here. Um, especially since the all-star break. I mean, I think we've only won like nine games since the all-star break, maybe the last like 26. It's just been absolutely abysmal, um, getting blown out at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, Derek Shelton supposedly isn't on the hot seat. Um, he said a couple of weeks ago, he's very secure in his job. Ben Sherrington echoed those remarks that uh, he expects you know, Ben Sherrington to be back in 2023. Um, it was leaked out. I don't know how long ago it was. It, it is actually a four-year contract, so he is under contract for next year. But I mean, I look back to uh, 2019 when Clint Hurdle basically said, "You know, I'm, I'm looking to see what we're going to do in the offseason and hoping to turn it around in 2020." And you know, was fired the day before the last day of the season. So I mean, I don't think anybody's job is actually ever secure. Uh, but I just, I also don't see them getting rid of Shelton as of just yet, because you haven't really seen him coach with a team that's been fully put together yet. I mean, I could see, right. I could see some lesser firings. I, uh, you know, maybe an Andy Haynes, the hitting coach, just because, I mean, nobody's really improved under him. Uh, you even see like a player uh, all-star caliber, like Brian Reynolds, uh, who has, you know, regressed in this season. Some of the power's still been there. But the average and even the approach to plate sometimes hasn't been there. So maybe that to kind of uh, appease the uh, the rowdy fan base. And, and maybe just because, I don't know. I don't know why he was hired in the first place. I went on my show, me and Chris did, and and even Gary on our site has just, just railed the hiring. because It's like Milwaukee was a successful organization last year. They fired one guy. It was Andy Haynes. And then we hired him. So what did we see that Milwaukee, who had won our division, didn't see? I just really didn't get that hiring. Yeah, you wonder that. You see that a lot, and you you do wonder. You know, what am I do? Did we? Did they see something different that we don't see? But um, sometimes it's philosophy. Sometimes it's whatever you know, and it just uh, agrees. Now the farm system is been ranked pretty high uh, I think Fangraphs and ESPN had it like the number two 
farm system. So is there any hope along that line that those prospects will come along and, uh, you know, in the next two, three years, you think that's what they're waiting for now at this particular point? I think to a degree that they are. And, and I think that's where some of the fan base has gotten even more vocal is that, you know, in baseball America, they fell almost out of the top 10 where they had been like four or five earlier in the year. Um, some of that has to do with the graduations of like a Rowanzi Contreras and O'Neill Cruz. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that the fan base was happy um, when we were going for a different type of prospect um, under Neil Huntington, the previous regime, we had gone for those near MLB ready prospects. And so it was guys with those lower ceilings, but we're almost guaranteed to contribute on the major league level to whatever degree it would be like a Colin Moran. I mean, you knew he was going to be there. And even at that point in time, a Joe Musgrove who has kind of come into his own at times out in San Diego, I did see his last outing. I think it was his last outing. Wasn't so great. Kind of got chased from the game, but that's going to happen to everybody, but that's what he was kind of going for. So people liked that Charrington was going for, these more high ceiling prospects. So they were seeing everybody was constantly looking at that ceiling of a prospect. And, and I write about prospects uh, fairly often on our site inside the Bucks mm -hmm. basement, because that's like where a lot of my passion lies. Um, and I always focus on the floor. I never look at the ceiling of a prospect because if you look at the ceiling of a prospect every single time, 90% of the time you're going to be disappointed because you're looking yeah. for what could be the best of him. And I think that's where people got wrapped up in a lot of this. So at one point in time, you know, Ben Sherrington was the savior for looking at a different way to, to acquire talent and to get, you know, these players like a, a, a Leova Pagaro and, and Brennan Malone in the first trade for Starling Marte and, you know, going for like a, a Hudson head looking for these guys that they could bring in, that could be more of these, you know, guys, if they hit, um, then man, I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing for the team, but they also a lot of times have that, that lower floor. So if they don't hit, um, and, and I think that a lot of the things that have happened and I hate to use this, it's not really an excuse, but it's just the, uh, the injury bug. I mean, Henry Davis got injured at the end of the last year with an oblique and didn't get to finish out even, what would have been half of a professional season uh, this year, he got hit by 18 pitches, I think, or something before his wrist finally broke. Wow. <laughs> and then you have, you know, the, the number one pick from the previous year in, in Nick Gonzalez uh, hurting his heel, running to first base in Altoona. So he's out for a while. You have Quinn Priester, one of your top pitching prospects out with an oblique for the first couple months. Of the season has come back and has pitched fairly well. Um, but when you have that and you have the graduations, I mean, it, it's, I feel like it's going to drop you down the rankings a little bit, but I, I feel like Charrington has always said that it's been more about depth at positions than it is about the, the high ceiling. It's just gathering as many prospects as you can at each position. And if you have 10 outfielders and 10 middle infielders, you just kind of hope that three or four of them sneak through and become competent major league baseball players. And maybe one of them becomes a superstar as opposed to, you know, putting all your chips in like a couple guys in your superstar basket. So right. I, I feel like people are getting impatient, but 
it was the same thing. The same things they're getting impatient about were the same things they were raving about, you know, over the past two years as to how he's acquired players as, as to going for, you know, these players with the higher ceiling and, and some of it may come to fruition. I, I, you know, just this last week on our podcast, I talked a lot about Andy Rodriguez, our, uh, one of our top catching prospects down in Altoona. And, you know, that was a, a, a we basically talked, uh, <laughs> we talked in New York you're into sending him over, <laughs> uh, you know, in the three-player deal when we sent Joe Musgrove to, uh, over to San Diego. If I think it's yeah, Joey yeah. Lucchese or something, I believe is who we ended up uh, shipping over to New York. But it, yeah, it, yeah. so that may end up working out. And if one of those works out, Believe me that that makes the the Joe Musgrove trade a success, along with you know bringing in David Bednar. All you need is you know if two of those guys work out in one of those deals and they're with you for longer than a couple of years, then that deal's a success. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, and and as you said, it's always tough to tell with with, with the uh, the minor league kids. You never know. Uh, I remember Ralph Kiner, the Mets announcer, the late Ralph Kiner, used to say that there are a lot of players that are better players uh in the minors than physically than there were in the majors there there are a lot of guys but a lot of it was their you know their head they just couldn't make the adjustments uh at the uh, major league level and uh, i guess that's why you see guys like you know, in the mets case like a jeff mcneil who's really you know he, he's a good ball player but uh uh, you know his his head is more in the game, and he's made himself better than what he than his physical talents. Or Pete Rose, for that matter, you know who who uh, didn't have all of the physical talents, but made himself into a great ball player. So, um, yeah, know. and that's where like Pirates fans, like especially when I go back to like you know thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen, people always remember you know like the Andrew McCutcheons, the the, the Starling Martes, the, the you know. Francisco Liriano, AJ Burnett, but they forget about like the Jordy Mercers and the and the Josh Harrisons who you know turn themselves into those types of ball players. So not only do we need like the stars, like somebody like O'Neill Cruz to come through, uh, but we need some guys like hopefully maybe like Rodolfo Castro that just came up. You need mm-hmm. you know Diego Castillo who we sent back to. You need some of those guys to to compete Marcano and that may not be like of the superstar status. But you need role players and as well, and people that actually kind of you know play above maybe the expectations to a degree. So I mean, it's it's definitely a, it's a long road, and and right now it just seems to be getting seems longer, as, longer. The season, <laughs> as the season goes on. I mean, I mean, we we where we're recording now, we pulled off a, a pretty nice win in Milwaukee, you know, last night. But other than that, I mean, it's just been it's been fairly torturous over the past few weeks here. Yeah. Uh, and and you haven't had an easy schedule. I mean, you had the Braves and uh, you know, and the Brewers, but the Brewers seem to be uh, uh, I don't want to say falling apart, but uh, they they're not as strong as they were last year. I don't think. No, and and everybody I know at this point in time will question, you know, the, the Josh the Josh Hader trade uh, and how. Um, even though he wasn't performing as well as he had been in previous years as to how that can affect the cohesion in a clubhouse. And I know that that's not, you know, a completely rated thing. It could be overrated, but 
when you are doing so well and you're just used to, okay, well, you know, Devin Williams comes in and Josh Hader comes in and, and that's how we win ball games. And, and at least having, you know, some more faith in that. I, I don't know. It's so much, I mean, of the game it is mental. So you, you do wonder, you know, even though people, you know, I actually didn't mind the trade for them as far as the players they got in return. Um, and especially, you know, since he hadn't been performing that well, but I mean, was this, you know, Milwaukee setting themselves up for the next couple years um, at the, you know, the risk of, you know, maybe trailing off a little bit this year when they've trailed off more than I thought they would. Mm -hmm. But then you have, you know, St. Louis who for some reason, always just, even if they don't have the greatest lineup, just somehow seems to always put something together. Like that's everybody asks like which team I hate the most in the, in the NL central. And I always say St. Louis, because even when they have a guy named like Lars Newtbar, they can just, you know, put together. And I'm not saying it's not nothing against Lars Newtbar. He's a, he's a good baseball player, but mm-hmm. he gets to the major no, leagues I... and he plays like he's, he's like Willie Mays or something, man. It's, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Um, what they can do. And then, you know, the resurgence of, you know, the Albert Pujols, like it, it's just, I mean, it, it gets frustrating to watch because that's what we need. We need, we need our Lars Newt bar, who is the guy that, you know, nobody expects to do anything. And then all of a sudden comes on and, and is like a contributor. I mean, same thing with like, I mean, not that many people knew who uh, Tommy Edmond was, for St. Louis before he came up. And right. I mean, he okay. wasn't a hugely highly touted prospect and has turned himself into just a really good baseball player. I hate when that happens. <laughs> and it never happens for the pirates. I mean, not since nice, not since 2013, <laughs> we don't get any surprises. We got to hope for the, everybody says that Brian Reynolds was a surprise. No, he wasn't. He was a top 10 prospect in our system. It wasn't a surprise. <laughs> He was a surprise because people stopped watching because he was traded for Andrew McCutcheon, but it wasn't really that much of a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we talked about the 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 offense a little bit is down. Uh, what has been the weakest part of this team? Is it the pitching? Is it just the offense, as you mentioned? Uh, maybe the hitting coach should go. Uh, is it the starting pitching? Is it the bullpen? What's been hurting this team the most? I mean, I feel like the the starting pitching and bullpen ha- have gone on their streaks. Um, starting pitching was was down um, for a little bit at the beginning of the season, but you know Mitch Keller, since he went to the bullpen uh, and, and added his sinker, has has come back fairly strong. JT Brubaker, aside from like one outing um, over like his like past like ten or eleven here, has has really kind of put stuff together. Rowanzi Contreras being back up, um, I feel the 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 starting pitching has has actually been fairly good, and and it's almost I don't it's like everybody's saying like, you know, are we going to waste like a, even last night, like another good, like Mitch Keller outing. And, you know, luckily the pirates came back and won four to two, but it it definitely has been the hitting. And it's been, I I know that a lot of people will say, you know, well, we haven't had, you know, a lot of hitters up here, but like I said, even a regression from a, from a Reynolds, from a a key Brian Hayes, I know Brian Hayes has been dealing with a little bit of a back issue, but I mean, just even before then, like the the bat had fallen off, even from you know its lowest points last year. Uh, the defense is always going to be there. 
for me, the the biggest I see one of the things that they did, and I know it's a lot of times not the as people don't see it as the most important position, but just going out and uh, and getting you know a, a Roberto Perez as a, as a post when they made the Jacob Stallings deal, and then Roberto Perez goes down, and then you're just you know kind of going from backup catcher to backup catcher. Uh, Jason Delay, who that's a surprise from within our system. I mean, he I remember seeing him back in Altoona a few years back and thought you know he could be. I don't know, maybe a quad A, you know, catcher and somebody that could fill in or whatever, but he's he's actually done fairly well. Um, I, I honestly think it it has been the hitting and and a lot of the things, I mean, people will point to, you know, last year the Pirates, um, I think they had like the least amount of errors in all of Major League Baseball, but the defense actually wasn't that great. Now the defense is even a little bit worse. And they have more errors, if that makes sense, because a lot of people don't go towards like the outs above average, the defensive run save. Um, if you go into the more advanced metrics uh, as opposed to errors, because the errors actually mean that you have to get to the ball first. Right. So if you don't have a lot of guys with range, then you're like kind of giving up, you know, hits that you shouldn't be giving up to begin with because you don't have guys that can even get to the ball in, in time. So for me, errors, I mean, it's nice that the guys aren't making errors, but I mean, it's got to be something else. And even like, I mean, Brian Reynolds, who was was up for a gold glove last year, is having like a historically bad season in center field for him. It's I mean, I looked the one time he was like something like negative eight to negative 12, like uh, defensive runs saved. So, I mean, in he was proving last year, maybe he could play center field, but he's not really a natural center fielder. He's more of a corner outfielder. Um, and we need to get somebody better in there. Uh, you know, Ono Cruz has, has come in and played a lot better at shortstop than who we had in there before with Cabrian Hayes and then finding, you know, between Rodolfo Castro and Kevin Newman at second base and then actually getting, you know, Michael Chavis, who is shorter and I will bring that up all the time, but has played a good defensive first base instead of having like, you know, a Yoshi Tsutsugo or a Josh Van Meter filling in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's, it's one of those things where like you're at a team that is – has little room for error. And if you're not hitting well and you're also not fielding well, it doesn't matter how good you're pitching. And, and it doesn't matter right, if the home right. runs have gone up if you're not getting anybody on base for those home runs. So, like, I feel like every other thing is dropping down. We're striking out a lot more. So, if you don't have guys on base, we have more home runs. But, man, number of times it's a solo shot, it, it feels like it's like almost every single time. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, they can put more together. Are there any 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 hot players or anybody we should be looking for? Um, I would say right now. I mean, Mitch Keller. He he's coming off a a ten strikeout outing, um, and and this one he he didn't just use the sinker. He also used the four seam fastball up in the zone a little bit, up ninety six, ninety seven. Uh, that's one that you know. Everybody saw in the offseason, you know, they saw the videos of him pumping up to 100 and like got all excited. But if it's on a plane, man, the major league yeah. players can catch up to to yeah. 100. They can and they'll, and they'll send it the other direction. So um, with him working like a four pitch mix now, I, I really am excited and, and hopeful for him, you know, going into next year. And and he's still young. I mean, it's he's been it feels like he's been around forever, but he's only been no around for like the past like three years and it's not even been full seasons. So 
that that's a guy that that I'm actually really excited about. Uh, Rodolfo Castro, who I mentioned, could be one of those guys. I know that, you know, Chris and I brought up the phone incident, but if it wasn't for the phone incident, I mean, I feel like he, <laughs> there'd be a lot more positive stuff around him because he's just been getting on base and hitting the ball pretty well. And I, I feel like those are good things. And, and, and I see O'Neill Cruz, like, especially over the past week, I mean, everybody's looking at like, you know, the exit velocities, you know, the, the 122, you know, 0.4 mile per hour hardest hit ball or whatever. Uh, for me, it's that the consistency of that. He had a couple hits last night. I mean, of course, his double was 110 miles an hour. It was the opposite direction. But to me, I was just looking that he was more patient and was willing to take the ball the, to the opposite field and could still hit it that hard. Because guess what? Every single time Ono Cruz hits the ball and he gets a hold of it, it's going to go 105 miles per hour or more just because of you know, his athletic ability mm-hmm. to me, it's where he puts it. And when he's going to opposite sides of the field, yeah, he pulled the first one and he got a single, but then he was just even a little bit more patient at a two, two count. And there was a ball that was a little outside. And instead of trying to pull it, he just basically in his eyes poked it, but it went 110 miles an hour. So to me, it's more patience, more consistency. And, uh, maybe a, a balance of patience and aggressiveness. Cause maybe sometimes he's doing being too patient and other times he's being too aggressive. Um, so just getting used to hitting on the major league level. So I, I've actually liked what I've seen from Ono Cruz for the last week, uh, taking those steps in the right direction to like, I wasn't totally worried to begin with, but a couple of times he, like, he looked like he was flailing. And here's the thing is Brian Reynolds. I, I look at it and, and, the averages are are down across all of major league baseball, but the way he's contributing, uh, still hitting, you know, 20 plus home runs, you know, still hitting, you know, he's not down on like a two thirty average or anything or a two forty average. I mean, maybe he turns out to be more of like a two seventy five hitter with 25 home runs. He might not be like, you know, the superstar that we thought he was, but he's a legitimately good baseball player. So I, I feel like mm-hmm. that those, Three things, along with hopefully, you know, Cabrian Hayes being healthy for an entire season next year. I, I think that there's at least, in my eyes, there's there's four young or at least fairly young guys because you still have Brian Reynolds for three more years at least. Um, if you want them, I, I feel like that those are uh, good things to be looking towards. And it, it seems like they they're building a foundation, and and we just got to see what happens where it takes off. And, and whether they can improve. But uh, unfortunately, it's tough to go through these seasons. <laughs> we oh, man, that. and it is. It, it is. And it's like, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing right now is, you know, we, we had, I think we were like, what was it, 19 and 41 during the pandemic year. So that was obviously going to be a 100 loss season. Last year, we lost 101 games. Now we're on pace to lose 100 again. And I think that that's like people's like benchmark is if you you don't you know lose a hundred games and it's somehow a victory. I mean, I look back to uh, everybody's like one of everybody's f- favorite pirate managers, Lloyd McClendon, was popping champagne bottles in the in the locker room when they didn't lose a hundred games the one year. <laughs> they were still a terrible team. So I, I I I we basically told everybody, Chris and myself, at the beginning of the season was we we're still watching for individual performances and it's pretty much, you know, f- for those guys that I mentioned, maybe, you know, a, a JT Brubaker, uh, a couple other players maybe mixed in, but those were the four players that if you saw, 
you know, some progress from, or at least just some consistency from, I mean, Ono Cruz has, and we go back to the, you know, advanced stats. He has like the second most defensive run saved of any player in all of major league baseball. So, I mean, how can you be, how can you be disappointed in that? And I've never seen him as an offensive juggernaut. I would like him to hit a little bit better and be like more like league average to a little bit above. At that point in time, he's like a he's like a five six war player just with his defense alone. So, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not you know super happy with this way the season turned out for him. Yes, I'd like to see Brian Reynolds have a little bit better of an average, but he's come around and he came back from having just a really bad fat first couple months of the season. So. Um, I see good Brian Reynolds. I see good from Ono Cruz, good from Cabrian Hayes, and good from Mitch Keller. And to me, that's better than what we saw at the end of last year, where it was like, okay, we have Brian Reynolds and who else? So I, I feel like at least some more questions uh, have hopefully been answered and, and at least some steps have been taken. So that's the progress I was looking for, was just for somebody. Well, we're running out of time, and I don't want to be cut off before we uh, tell the good folks about where they can listen to your podcast and read some of your stuff. So, Craig, it's all yours. Yeah, um, just follow me on Twitter, at Bucks Basement, uh, on Facebook, in, uh, Inside the Bucks Basement. Uh, follow uh, any, You can find us anywhere, Apple, Google, whatever. It's uh, Bucks in the Basement podcast, and then you can read any of the articles um, at InsideTheBucksBasement.com. Okay. And, Craig, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Gary, on. Th- thanks for having me on, man. This was this was a great talk. It was a great way to break up the uh, the, the, the Wednesday afternoon here. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. <laughs> and I'll be right back right after this. Five one six six one nine six three four one. That is the comment voicemail hotline. If you'd like to be a part of the show and drop us a line, leave us a comment or a voicemail question, anything at all. Call that number five one six six one nine six three four one, or go to metsmusings.com and click on that widget in the middle of the screen, and that's a speak pipe, and you can leave a voicemail right through your computer through your computer's microphone. Or if you prefer to do things the old-fashioned way, send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash metsmusings. And uh, if you'd uh, like to help out the show, check out our Patreon page. Check out the campaign at patreon.com slash metsmusings. Okay, we're back, and it's time to go. (laughs) All right, down on the farm, and let's go check out what the team's doing. The Syracuse Mets are 53 and 73. They are 16 and a half games out of first place, they are in next to last in their division. 
Binghamton is 21-31 and 31 in the second half, 11 games back next to last in their division as well. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Cyclones, baby, 34-23 and 23 in the second half. They're holding first place by a slim half a game. Come on, Brooklyn. Hang in there, baby. Get that second half. St. Lucie in the second half. They are 29 and 27. Four games back in second place. And, of course, St. Lucie won the first half, so they will be in their playoffs. And MRI on number one prospect, Francisco Alvarez-Zankel, showed some loose bodies in there. He will receive an injection and will not return to baseball exactly activities for three to four days based on uh, how he recovers uh, will determine on whether we see him again this year this uh, this injury of course means we won't see him at the majors they're not going to call him up with uh, coming off an injury in fact they probably would be Better off just shutting him down for the season. Why bother? Why mess around? Just get it, you know, done. If in in the uh, couple of days, see how he feels. Um, they're probably gonna. I would imagine they're gonna have to go in and and clean out those loose bodies anyway. So why not do it right away if they need to, and get it over with now. Uh, but we'll see what they decide. So, uh, Brett Batty, you know, uh, came up here, made a big splash with the home run, struggled a little bit, but that's to be expected. Uh, he suffered a UCL tear in his right thumb, and he will have to have surgery. In fact, he may have had surgery uh, yesterday or maybe having it today as we speak. Batty hurt his thumb Sunday against the Rockies while diving for a foul ball. Typical recovery time on something like this is five weeks, which would come after the regular season is over. Um, would they put him in for the playoffs? I don't think so at this time. I, I, I think you just let him rehab it for the winter. Um, with Guillaume coming back and, and you know, do he got his major league taste and has an idea, and then they have a better idea what to expect. Does he need a little bit more seasoning? He probably does, but um, we'll see. Uh, did a decent job, though, I'll tell you. Um, he His glove was more impressive than we thought. Uh, his hitting, you know, he's got a great stroke. Didn't strike out a heck of a lot, so that's a good sign as well. Made contact. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't always go somewhere, but had that big home run. So got that under his belt and got some other things. So uh, all in all, you know, I have to give him a, a B- minus to a C in his first uh, major league experience. But uh, it wasn't a complete bust, so hopefully he'll... Uh, pick up from there the big question is though why is it mark vientos here darren ruff is is uh, struggling as the dh from the right hand side uh vientos continues to hit 
I know Vientos is not a good defender, whether it be third base. That's why the Mets put him at first, and they put him in left field, and they're not real happy with those experiments either. Um, but remember, Pete Alonso wasn't a good fielder as well, wasn't considered a very good fielder. Uh, Michael Conforto wasn't considered to be a good defender, and yet uh, turned out, worked hard at it, and uh, turned out to be a pretty darn good outfielder, as Alonzo uh, has done at first base. Uh, why isn't Vientos here to hit? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Are uh, they uh, keeping him down there so he'll continue to be successful and they can move him in a trade uh, in the offseason? Who knows? That's a possibility. Maybe they didn't want to bring him up. And if he struggled up here, it would lessen his trade value. Uh, It's an interesting situation. And he's got to be scratching his head with Batty coming up uh, ahead of him. Uh, Why he didn't get the call at third base. And part of that is the defense. Um, But again, uh, as we said, the the Mets are struggling at third base. Um, they're struggling offensively at, at third base without Guillaume here, but also in the DH spot, especially with Darren, the right-handed DH, uh, Darren Ruff. Uh, got a big sack fly last night. Good job on that. But he struggled for the most part, uh, you know, getting a big hit. So... Why not bring Vientos and try to work him in as the DH? Maybe that's going to be his job of the future. So why not see what he can do? Um, They didn't. Maybe when, uh, uh, who knows, maybe when Guillaume comes back, maybe they will, you know, make that change and bring him up, get rid of Marrero, somebody like that. Um. And give Vientos a shot against the second division clubs. We'll see what they decide to do. But uh, it is a question. Why isn't he here? Um, You would have thought he would have been one of the first guys to be brought up when injuries occurred. But, uh, you know, um, we are just speculating left and right here. We don't know why. All right. Well... That's going to do it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank my guest once again, Craig Toth of uh, Bucks in the Basement. It's, they do a great job, him and his co-host. So go check that out if you like listening to podcasts and listen about other baseball teams. Uh, go check it out. Uh, a great guy and a terrific interview. So thanks, Craig, once again for being on the show. Uh, and I want to thank you all for listening and all watching. If you are watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe and the like button. Uh, I enjoy that to see people like it. And uh, so do the people at YouTube, the analytic department. They like to see it as well. So check that out. Or if you're listening on audio, you can also hit the subscribe button. We're all over the place. Apple, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify. Wherever you listen to, uh, gather your podcast together, whatever that uh, thing is, that app, uh, we are probably on it. And if not, request that they get us on it. 
darn it, I want Mitt's Musing. So uh, go check that out and uh, hit the subscribe button. And so you'll always know when a new episode is being released or been released. So <coughs> with that being said, Mets have got three with Washington. Go on the road to Pittsburgh. Then they'll be back uh, in Miami, and then they come back home, and they'll be playing uh, Pittsburgh, I think, again then. And um, the season is coming slowly to an end. So let's hope they can keep up their winning ways. And until next time, remember... Excuse me. Keep the faith. Stay optimistic. And let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Music.